Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness, morning. Christ Church Kingwood is a Christ-centered church that seeks to proclaim the gospel in both word and deed by glorifying God and making disciples of Jesus Christ. Join us now as we worship together in the ministry of the word. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. All right, let's pray together. Father God, as we just read in Ephesians 1, The same power by which you raised Christ Jesus from the dead is is at work in us who believe. God, is such a staggering truth that I pray that we would believe and understand that you're working in us and through us with immeasurable power. God, I pray that that would cut through our fears and our doubts and compel us to live out your call on our lives as the church. That we would experience the joy of your presence and proclaim your salvation to the ends of the earth. Amen. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing today? Uh, Did you get stuck behind that train? Yeah, just decided to stop on Hamblin Road. The devil's trying to keep you from getting here. Didn't know there was a way around that. Uh, Great to be here. Over the past four weeks, we've been unpacking the vision and mission of Christ Church Kingwood. We said, as Doran said earlier, we exist to glorify God and to make disciples through gospel-centered worship, gospel-centered community, gospel-centered service, and gospel-centered growth. And there's nothing magical about these words. They're simply an attempt to articulate the characteristics of a life of being and making disciples, a life that flows from and is empowered by the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So having kind of broken down the life of glorifying God and making disciples into these four gospel-centered distinctives over the past few weeks, what I want to do this morning is kind of put them back together and paint a picture of what a gospel-centered church looks like. Because God's call on us as the church is not just to pass on this message of grace and hope and love through Jesus Christ but it is to be a living embodiment of this gospel message that can be seen, that can be experienced. It's to cultivate a gospel culture where we as a community are so captivated by the truth of Jesus Christ that the way we live out our faith together tells the world about the God that we serve. But before we get to that, I want to begin today by talking a little bit about how Christchurch Kingwood came into existence. We've discussed this before, but there's a lot of new faces in the room. So I want to unpack for you just a few of the thoughts that informed the trajectory that we are on. And then I want to explore how we as a church can continue to cultivate gospel culture inside this community as we move forward. And so... 
Christchurch Kingwood was not birthed out of this illusion that we have found the perfect church model. As we talked about last week, we didn't get together and try and figure out all the elements we need to be a successful church. Christ Church was birthed out of the idea that the call of the gospel on the lives of believers is simple in form and it is life-changing in practice. Glorifying God and making disciples is all that we want to be about. We're not here to entertain. We're not here to be the most exciting place your kids have ever set foot in. We're not here to give you a moralistic good game and tell you how wonderful you really are. You are awesome. That's not why we're here. And we believe that that is enough, that the glory of God is all we should be about. And we believe that this is the only truth that can bring lasting hope and joy and life. Anything else that we present to you as reason to be a part of this community, whether it be the worship or the kids or the strikingly well-dressed pastor, is a distraction from what we have been called to be and proclaim as the church. So rather than constantly looking at new ways to attract people or to get the word out about Christ Church Kingwood, we as elders have been more concerned with ensuring that nothing we do as a church detracts from the message of Jesus. That nothing we do attempts to steal the glory due his name for ourselves or for this church. We want to be unassuming and unspectacular. And I believe we're nailing that. But we are not the point. This isn't about us. It's about Jesus. He is why we gather. He is who we worship. He is who we proclaim. We gather on Sunday, Sunday to worship as the people of God, but we are the church seven days a week. We are united in Christ, bound together by his blood, just as much on Monday morning as we are on Sunday. And our lives are the mission field. Our daily lives are where the gospel is lived out. And the gospel reality is that you are not your own. You're not. You have been bought with a price. You are members of one another. And together, we should be a foretaste of the kingdom of God here on earth. And this is what I really want to hone in on today. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, we are ambassadors of Christ. We are ministers of reconciliation. Not just as individuals, but as a church. That is the call, that is the identity that we have. And the way we live out our faith together as the family of God should portray the beauty of Christ to the world. The church should be a living embodiment of the gospel. A picture of the kingdom of God where race and economic status and personality differences and cultural dif differences aren't points of divergence, but where Christ is all and in all. This countercultural community where the people the world rejects are accepted, where power is not gauged by a number on your bank statement or some title you have at work but by humble reliance on the indwelling spirit. 
a community that's not driven by entitlement and pride, but where grace and love and mercy dominate the hearts of the people. This is what Jesus was getting at in John 13, 35, when he said, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another, that's how they'll know by the way you love one another. That is when the world looks at us, when they see us, the way we love and care and serve, the way we do life together, they should see Jesus. We have to understand this, that the way we engage with one another, the way we spend our time and the choices we make are our proclamation to the world about the God we serve. So if conflict and selfishness, struggling for power, if they're allowed to reign in our hearts, if we allow allow bitterness or grudges to fester, how are we any different than the world? What are we saying about our God? But when grace reigns, when we gladly lay down our lives, when we gladly lay down our rights, for one another, when we rejoice together, struggle together, mourn together, they will see Jesus. Our lives will proclaim a power and a hope that is greater than anything this world has to offer. So when you make a meal for someone, or you pray for someone who's struggling, or when you seek repentance from someone who you've hurt or who you've offended, when you take time out of your life to seek the good of someone else, you are proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord. And the world sees it. They see that. In a culture saturated with self-gratification and entertainment, these simple Acts of love resound with glory to God. This is why we take membership here at Christ Church seriously. We call it a covenant. It's why we em- emphasize the ne- necessity of being intentional about engaging the lives of others, even when it's hard, even when it stretches us, when it costs us. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4, or 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, Numbers. What we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So our message is not that we are perfect people or that this is the perfect church or that our small groups or men's groups or women's groups are the perfect solution for your struggles. Everything that we do is for the sole purpose of illuminating the glory of our perfect God. He is the creator, sustainer, and redeemer He is the wonderful counselor, mighty God, prince of peace. And he says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
Do you labor? Are you heavy laden? Are you anxious, fearful, hurting? Jesus says, come to me. I will give you rest. Because I can't give you that rest. The elders can't give you that rest. Social media won't do it. The next hobby, another day off, the next vacation, one more drink. There's nothing in the world that can give you that rest. But Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. See, what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. That's what it means to be a gospel-centered church. It's a Jesus-centered church. It's not about what we do or what we have to offer you, but what Jesus has done and what he is doing and what he has offered to all who trust in his name for salvation. We are a people who have been set apart by God to reflect his glory and his love in a world that is in desperate need of hope. So the question is, how do we live out this high calling as a church? How do we glorify God and make disciples inside of a culture that thinks of God as nothing more than a means to an end, if they think of him at all? How do we engage a culture that wants nothing to do with God? And I think far too often, what we see from the church and if we're honest, our own hearts at times, is that we stand in judgment over the world, right? Spewing hate and condemnation over unbelievers because they're acting like unbelievers. Shocking. What do we expect? And yet, often the church doesn't even offer an alternative because... Oftentimes, the culture inside of the church looks no different than the world. Bitterness, envy, pride, self-promotion, they can be just as prevalent. They're simply masked with Christian lingo and hypocrisy. So what good is the doctrine of grace if that grace isn't seen and experienced within the community of God's people? What we need to understand is that the only answer to one culture is another culture. Not just a concept, not a set of facts or propositions or rules, but a counter culture. See, Jesus didn't show up to tie up a few loose ends in our generally put together lives. He said, I've come to set you free from bondage free from the kingdom and the culture of this world to put to death what you were living for and to make you alive together with me, alive to a new kingdom, alive to a new hope, alive to a gospel culture. And it's like nothing you've ever seen or experienced. He said, I am making all things new. And we are ambassadors of that kingdom. And I pray that we would not settle for anything less. The gospel creates something new in the world today. Not just a new community, 
but a new kind of community. Gospel-centered churches should be living proof that the good news is truly good. Communities where the God of of John 3.16, the God of love and grace and mercy dwells in power. That is gospel culture. It's living in such a way that the world sees our love and longs to know the reason for our hope. Longs to know the God that we serve. And just to be clear, by emphasizing gospel culture, we're not minimizing doctrine. We're not pitting one against the other. Both are necessary if we're going to reflect the glory of Christ. Because gospel doctrine informs and creates gospel culture. That is, when gospel doctrine or the truth of God's word takes root in our hearts by the supernatural work of the Spirit, it creates a culture of grace. And when a church has a firm grasp of gospel doctrine igniting in it the beauty of gospel culture, that church will be powerful beyond measure. It will be a city on a hill. But there are no shortcuts to getting there. Without gospel doctrine, without an understanding that we were dead in our sin and made alive together with Christ, the culture will be weak. But without the culture, without lives transformed by the grace of Jesus, the the doctrine will be pointless. And every one of us is wired to lean one way or the other toward emphasizing doctrine or emphasizing culture, doctrine or community. Some of us naturally resonate with truth and standards and facts, while others resonate with feelings and vibes and relationships. I mean, whole churches, whole denominations are established on emphasizing one of these over and above the other. But the problem with our natural tendency to emphasize one of these over and above the other, is that we'll be partly wrong. But we won't know that because we'll be partly right too, right? But only partly. We're missing a huge piece. Truth without grace is harsh and ugly. But grace without truth is sentimental and shallow. John 1.14 says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and full of truth. The living Christ is perfect in both grace and truth. And we can't represent him within the limits of our own personalities and backgrounds. Yet when we trust him and depend on him moment by moment, he promises to shape us both personally and corporately. He will stretch us and mold us and make our church more like himself saturated with both the truth of gospel doctrine and the grace of gospel culture so that we can glorify him more than ever before. So turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 25. 
Well, it could be argued that like all of Scripture is describing how we foster gospel culture inside of the church. Paul's words here in Ephesians are a beautiful picture of the life we've been called to. Ephesians 4, 25 through 32, but we'll jump around a little bit. The Apostle Paul says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. And then verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And then 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ Jesus forgave you. Mm. So part of the reason I love this text is because I see so much of it being lived out in this church. So much. I am continually thankful to God to be in a church where I have personally experienced the reality of gospel culture on so many levels. I've experienced the love of Christ in powerful ways through so many of you, and I have seen grace and mercy extended to one another in supernatural ways for 14 plus years. But the picture of gospel culture that we see here in Ephesians, it's not a destination. It's a journey. It's a process. It's not like Lord Business in the Lego movie, right? Trying to glue everything together so you can stare at it. It's like the perfect creation. We have arrived. It's more like a garden. It must be constantly tended, pruned, watered, weeded. And if it's not, then the weeds and trash plants, whatever they are, they're going to come up. I'm not a gardener, to be honest. They're going to come up and choke it out, right? All you have to do is nothing. And for us to experience and sustain a gospel culture, a culture of grace as described here in Ephesians, we have to work at it like a garden. We must speak the truth in love with kind and tender hearts, while at the same time uprooting malice and envy and bitterness as they spring up, and they will. Just because we've experienced the beauty of gospel culture in this church doesn't mean that sin isn't crouching at the door, seeking to destroy what God is doing here. So most of you have probably heard the verse here about not letting the sun go down on your anger in relation to your marriage, right? It's kind of pigeonholed for that. It's actually the word of God. It applies more to, than just that. Do you apply that same truth to your relationships inside of the community? Just with these people we do life with. When your feelings get hurt, when you're offended, when someone says something that rubs you the wrong way, or maybe you feel disconnected, don't feel like anyone's reached out to you in a while, do you let those thoughts fester and grow, harboring bitterness 
and resentment. Paul says, give no opportunity to the devil. And that's what you're doing when you allow anger or hurt to go unaddressed. It is giving an opportunity to the devil to crawl in your mind and your heart and to wreak havoc. And it's, it's going to be an awkward conversation, right? When you're hurt, nobody wants to do that. It's awkward. It's supposed to be. Sin creates chaos. It creates awkwardness. But the damage that can be caused by not addressing those feelings can be devastating. The deceiver is unwavering in his attempts to plant seeds of division, to lead us astray through conflict and insecurities, doubts and fears. And if we lose sight of the gospel of grace, if we allow sin to germinate in the soil of this church, it will wreak havoc on this community. And every one of us plays a part, right? We talked about that last week. If I allow sin to take root, it affects everyone. And that is the same for all of you. So let me wrap up things with verse 32. This is more happy. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, Paul says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ Jesus forgave you. This is the heart of gospel culture. Forgiving one another as God in Christ Jesus forgave you. So if you only take one thing from this sermon today, my prayer would be that it is this. Make the measure of the grace and love that you experience from God the measure of grace and love that you extend to others. If we as a community truly lived out that one phrase, through the power of the Holy Spirit, it would transform the landscape of our friendships and our marriage and this church. Make the measure of the grace and love that you've experienced from God the measure of grace and love that you extend to others. Be captivated by the reality that the God of all creation sent his son to bear the weight of your sin on the cross. And we're not just talking about, oh, those sins in the past, right? Current sins, daily sins, every bad thought, every lustful look, every ounce of pride and selfishness and anger, the blood of Christ is constantly covering your sin in such a way that when God looks at you, he doesn't see that sin. He sees the perfect holiness of Christ. This is the gospel doctrine that can transform the culture of a church. Because when you're wronged or offended by someone in this community or when your spouse isn't living up to your expectations, what would it look like if you were to extend to them the measure of grace and love that God is continually extending to you? What would that look like? That's what it means to be gospel-centered. Easy to say, not easy to live. And it's not like we're living out something that's totally foreign to us. It's not like we are pioneering this new thing called grace, right? 
We are living out the very grace and love that we have been shown in Jesus Christ. Because Christ bore the weight of our sin and gave us his righteousness. God no longer views us according to our sin and our shortcomings and our failures. When he sees us, he sees the righteousness of Christ. So he doesn't look at you as a string of disappointments and letdowns, thinking to himself, I really deserve better. He sees the holy perfection of Christ. So how is it that we can look at one another and refuse to see them as God sees them, as bathed in the blood of Jesus? That doesn't mean that we don't still need to grow or be shaped into the image of Christ, but it changes the way we see people. It changes the way we care and pray for people. And that's what Paul was getting at when he said, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Right? Our call as the people of God is to no longer look at one another according to the record of our sins. To no longer judge one another according to our differences, but to see each other as God sees us, as holy and beloved. And our call is to come alongside one another with grace and mercy, longing to see the fullness of Christ manifested in the lives of those we love, those we have covenanted with. So make the measure of the grace and love you experience from God the measure of grace and love that you extend to others. This is how we will cultivate a gospel culture in this church. And if we do this, the world will take notice. They will see the love we have, and God will get the glory. Let's pray together. Father God, we are your church, redeemed and united as a people for your own possession. And while this is of no merit of our own, It is hard to even believe at times. You say it is so. You have called us out of darkness and into your glorious light. And I pray that we would live in that light. That this church would shine as a city on a hill. As we seek to show the love and the grace that we have experienced from you through Jesus Christ. To the praise of your glorious grace. Amen. Praise God from Thank you for worshiping with us through the preaching of God's Word. We exist to glorify God by making disciples. We would love to have you join us in person as we gather together on Sundays at 10 a.m. at the Covenant Preparatory School on Hamlin Road in Kingwood, Texas. To learn more about Christ Church Kingwood, visit our website at ChristChurchKingwood.org.